Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Welcome, welcome. Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan with you. I report in the newsroom here at KMOX on all kinds of news stories, but I love to cover technology, innovation, consumer stories, business, uh, civic stories in St. Louis, and that's the kind of stuff we get into with my co-host, Travis Sheridan, who's a globe hopper for Venture Cafe. You know, I, uh, a globe trotter, just like, uh, but without playing basketball. Right. I get the opportunity to not only uh, work with Venture Cafe here in St. Louis, which is in the Cortex Innovation District, but also setting up Venture Cafes all around the world, as far away as Tokyo and Sydney and everywhere in between. And so, where have you been lately? By the way, Baltimore. I've been spending a, some time in Baltimore, which is great. It's like our sister city. You know, so many similarities between. So you list off all these. You know, I've been to Sydney cities, and right. Bilbao and. You know, I've been to Amsterdam and Baltimore. And Baltimore and Dublin and Phoenix. Phoenix is another amazing city. Phoenix is getting a venture cafe, huh? Phoenix looks like it's getting a venture cafe, yeah. Getting closer and closer for next year. Uh, London is getting a venture cafe probably next October. So, yeah, a lot of uh, new growth. And how do you describe what venture cafe is besides, you know, the St. Louis iteration being the headquarters and being the biggest of them all? Uh, So that's a big point of pride. But what is venture cafe? People are just tuning in. So for uh, for our listeners, Venture Cafe is a, a nonprofit organization that really looks at ways to connect people interested in innovation. So you don't have to be a techie, uh, but if you are interested in maybe in running a small business or uh, you you think you have an answer to solving a world's problem, uh, we do events to bring people together. Uh, the biggest one being what we call our Thursday gathering, where in St. Louis they have about 500 people every week that show up. Uh, it is now, I like to say, it is now larger globally uh, than South by Southwest. So more people attend Venture Cafe around the world than go to South by Southwest conference. So that's interesting. Good point of pride. Uh, but we're, yeah, we... Uh, and you don't have to travel. You just go to your local Venture Cafe. Just go to your local Venture Cafe. You don't venture have cafe. to that's jam right. in to Austin, Texas right. and pay, I'm sure, highly no inflated right? price, yeah. prices for those. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a very it's expensive like lanyard. $300 just to get in before you book your hotel. Right. So just go to Venture Cafe on Thursday instead, yeah. and you'll learn about the St. Louis community for, uh, surrounding you, know, the ecosystem surrounding startups and uh, innovators in town. And how does that compare to some of these other cities? Is it fair for us to say, well, we're no Silicon Valley here in St. Louis. <laughs> well, you know, we're no Washington, D.C. We don't have an Amazon here. Is that is that really fair, though? I mean, I think it's, uh, I don't think it's fair, but it's 
expected, right? And we're, mm. we constantly compare ourselves to other cities. Uh, people compare themselves to other people, right? That's why uh, people, uh, that's why there's health fads, because we like to be in this point of comparison and trying to get closer to what we might consider the ideal. Uh, but, you know, what, what I believe as I, as I visit from city to city is every city that I go to, uh, and St. Louis is no different, has something unique about it that makes it just theirs. You know, for St. Louis, maybe it's the plant sciences that we that we have here, and now the new, you know, the big effort in geospatial. Uh, in Silicon Valley, yeah, they they do a lot of great things, but you know, maybe there are companies that would be rather be here than Silicon Valley, or who would have a better chance at survival if they were here instead right. of yeah. Silicon Valley. So we'll dig into a little bit. You know, we hear so much about how. Whether it's, I'm sure a lot of listeners have anecdotal stories about how their kids, they're from St. Louis, but they're in whatever industry or they want whatever lifestyle. And so they feel they've got to go to San Francisco or Seattle or Boston or Austin that have a choice. And because it doesn't exist in St. Louis necessarily, or does it? Maybe they, they aren't aware of what's been going on. Their parents should send them the Nothing Impossible podcast link. <laughs> but we're going to talk with a researcher from the Brookings Institute about how we've got this this gulf, I guess, between the big fortress have cities when it comes to technology and cutting-edge jobs and the heartland, the rest of the country. Right. And these uh, these incumbent cities, these larger cities, the Bostons and Cambridges or the New Yorks and, and Silicon Valleys, uh, they've been doing this for quite a while. Uh, and they also have a lot of resources poured into them. And so uh, there is some discussion as to whether uh, the government should play a role of pouring resources into the heartland a bit more. And then when it comes to these companies we just mentioned, you know, San Francisco, maybe it's too expensive. Maybe there's a better opportunity elsewhere. Uh, instead of just following the pack to California, well, there's one company which is reversing that trend. They're moving from San Francisco to St. Louis. Yeah, we're going to talk with uh, Jim Howard. from. Uh, he's a CEO of Readout Health, a health tech company that is not only moving their operation and headquarters to St. Louis, but they're also doing their uh, manufacturing of their product in St. Louis. Hmm. Uh, so that is somebody moving from San Francisco to the St. Louis region because of the unique assets that we have here. And it's a an example of a company I think that people can relate to. Maybe we talk about B2B, business-to-business kind of issues a lot or cutting edge research that might be a little little complicated but this is a topic people can understand uh, you know pricking the end of your your finger to get some blood or doing a urine test uh, and this is something that blows those out of the water says you don't need to go through that trouble anymore it literally does blow those out of the water it's using your breath to give uh, get more information about your health yeah so we'll talk with the CEO who decided to move from California to Missouri, and also with somebody who's been through those clinical trials, who knows how they work and knows how this new medical device works as well. So we have a full show. We're going to keep you entertained and informed as we dig into Nothing Impossible. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Welcome back. Michael and Travis with you. And we talk all the time on the program about how St. Louis is building a technology and startup ecosystem, becoming a great place for entrepreneurs to go. But still, we hear about how tech companies continue to choose San Francisco to Washington, D.C., Boston to Seattle for a lot of their expansions. Uh, there's a new report out from Brookings which says, Maybe we should have some more tech hubs in some other parts of the country. Mark Miro, a senior fellow at Brookings, is joining us on KMOX. Thanks for calling in, Mark. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are how you doing? 
Doing really well. Uh, Mark, give us an uh, overview of this, this report that you wrote for Brookings. Well, uh, this work, which was a, a partnership with uh, 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 ITIF, uh, a tech-oriented think tank here in, in Washington, is a, a sort of good news, bad news story for, for, for St. Louis. Maybe the bad news first. Uh, we, we show that notwithstanding all the great work going on in the heartland uh, cities, 90% of expansion of a defined uh, innovation uh, sector in the country, uh, new growth in that sector has been concentrated in just five metros. Yes, the ones you know, Seattle, the Bay Area cities, uh, San Diego, and Boston. So there's still concentration. This It doesn't seem like anytime soon the tech industry is going to naturally spill out and into the uh, heartland. At the same time, we we see that St. Louis will have some real assets, and we see it as a potential uh, recipient of the kind of uh, major, what we're calling, innovation surge into eight to ten metros in the heartland. And you know, these incumbent cities, uh, the ones that you mentioned, the Bay Area, uh, Seattle, the Cambridge, Boston area, uh, one of their, I guess, assets is just been longevity, wouldn't you say? I mean, they have, if we think of in the startup life cycle, they're probably four or five generations into this uh, startup evolution where cities in the heartland might be relatively new, so they just don't have the depth. Is that part of the talent problem and challenge? It's it's absolutely true. Uh, the technology uh, uh, economies have a kind of winner-take-most dynamic and a kind of lock-in phenomena for early adopters, whether it's for a new phone or a city. Uh, those five places were early adopters in tech, were early to begin growing, and that has proven to be a kind of lock-in phenomena, and we're th- we think it may be harmful to the rest of the country. So we need to actively intervene to try to begin to boost uh, some serious uh, tech growth in some more places. And so uh, what are some of your recommendations to uh, maybe break the, the stranglehold that these incumbent cities have and distribute some of that not only talent but the momentum and energy to the heartland and other parts of the U.S.? Yeah, we think we know how to do this, actually. I mean, the, th- the investments that led to the rise of Boston and Silicon Valley are sort of well-known. Same goes for the research triangle. What is, what's at the heart? It's a massive... Uh, surge or, or of investment in R&D. And it turns out, you know, St. Louis has an incredible complex of uh, uh, innovation-oriented uh, institutions, including, you know, Research One University, uh, 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 the Danforth Center and Plant Sciences. Those are the kind of forums that should receive massive federal investment in R&D and then also in placemaking. We like the things going on at the Cortex uh, Innovation District. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think that's a uh, you 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 have to have innovation R and D money going in and that kind of research going on, but you have to have a great place for for innovative activity to happen. You know, so we think St. Louis is you know a, a poster child for the kind of place that could potentially you know reach escape velocity with some with some big. Uh, real big push. 
You mentioned the Cortex District and the Donald Danforth Plant Science Center, uh, Washington University, with the research that's being done there. Uh, one of the things that I've heard as people move from the coasts and into the heartland, uh, first and foremost, they mentioned the affordability. And, and I always say that yeah. your value proposition can't be on price, right? That's, that's where you're, you're always going to get beat if you try to be the low-cost leader. Uh, but I've also heard that these city, uh, the incumbent cities, uh, not only are they so expensive to live in, but they just don't have the same sense of community. Uh, you know, maybe it's the Midwestern uh, ethos that, I, that I'm leaning into, <clears throat> but is this sense of community something that attracts people to places like this where they can not only uh, move their business forward, but also get involved? Well, we, we absolutely think that's true. And our report details some very specific uh, negative side effects or externalities of the kind of over-concentration, uh, in, and including uh, technological lock-in. What if we're locking in in too too narrow a set of uh, technologies and platforms, whereas there's uh, where there might be incredible new ideas from underrepresented uh, new entrepreneurs in the Midwest or in St. Louis. So there's all the reasons to take advantage of the price advantages that places like St. Louis have. But but we think that they that we think that there's the potential for uh, eight to ten places to actually get to the next level on their own and with this kind of support to you know really uh, blow up the existing order and get to a better. Uh, set of outcomes for the United States. And so the support, uh, as I was reading through your report and some follow-on conversation, really is driven by government intervention and, and government prioritization. Is that correct? Yeah, well, in a mix, it's, it's government resources, okay. but bottom-up strategy. We, we want a competition among places to develop the, the most aggressive, boldest, you know, coolest strategy for getting to the next level. Uh, and for reaching what we call escape velocity, so all of the all of the strategy, all of the technology, uh, all of that needs to be local. But we think that you need federal resources to, you know, energize the, that that impl- uh, uh, implementation, or or we're just not going to, you know, get to the scale we need. We've got these are very powerful forces that that we're pushing against and so you yeah, I think it's a you need that combination of federal support but bottom up uh, creativity we're speaking with Mark Murrow, the senior fellow from a Brookings Institution, uh, about these uh, middle-of-the-country, maybe unsung uh, locales that, that are competing uh, nationwide and really globally with the, with the incumbent cities. Mark, one of the hyper-local aspects, I would imagine, would be uh, focusing on industries and sectors that are relevant or, and almost a differentiator for each city. You mentioned the Donald Danforth Plant Science Center. So for St. Louis, focusing on agriculture technology, plant sciences makes a lot of sense. For some of these other cities that you're looking at that aren't the incumbents, uh, what are their unique selling proposi- propositions? What industries are, are right for them? Uh, it, it might be pharmaceuticals, uh, you know, and biopharmaceuticals manufacturing uh in uh, Indianapolis. We think there's no shortage of differentiated, truly, uh, you know, creative and defensible new uh, strategies uh, around the country. Or think of the, you know, the, the, the variety of things going on in a Columbus. Mm-hmm. You know, these are, 
you know, these are places that are getting some traction, and that's one of our criteria for pointing at a growth center. If you if a place has achieved no toehold yet, it probably you know is not going to be a great place to invest in in this way. You know, we we just we just see you know emergent uh, uh, defensible and unique technologies in a place like St. Louis. So let's scale that up. It's been interesting to see uh, not only the plant sciences and, and some of the bio and life sciences grow, uh, but the new emphasis and effort around geospatial as uh, NGA West is re- uh, creating a new headquarters yeah. here. And the amount of that is true government investment, federal dollars put in $1.7 billion to build out this new headquarters. And the uh, ancillary and, and uh, adjacent industries and sectors that are starting to grow as a result of that. I think that's a great example, and and it's differentiated enough. It's a, it's a unique and a big addressable market. Uh, those are the kind of things that uh, you know this kind of competition should be looking for. Uh, you know, and we think w- that would be widening uh, the array of U.S. competitive advantages. Another reason to do all this is, you know, other nations, including China you know, are competing aggressively with us, and we may be losing market share globally. So uh, that's a great point about geospatial. And speaking of the uh, the external factors and, and other countries, it really is going to take a an entire effort by the United States, not just a few incumbent cities. Uh, we are a sports town here, so you don't just want the top of your order uh, making an impact, but you want everybody throughout the uh, the batting order playing a role in this. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, we we need to get new teams on the table, you know, Uh, and and we have them coming into shape somewhat. But we argue that without, you know, without aggressive intervention, you know, lock in will continue over concentration will continue. And we don't think that is working for the nation. You know, we're seeing, in fact, slowing productivity uh, as a nation. Uh, and we're, we're seeing, uh, you know, complaint about the quality of life and uh, so on in the over-concentrated hothouses of the coast. And we've got too much there and too little in other places. Well, before we wrap up, the, the last thing I'll, I'll ask you about is what role does uh, private investment investment play in this? Uh, we have heard time and time again that venture capitalists like to invest in their own backyard. Uh, and so if you are it, near Mountain View, it's easier to get investment from some of those large branded firms. Or if you're in Cambridge, it's easier to get investment from those firms. But are you seeing a willingness to travel or look outside of the incumbent cities by investors? So statistically, we're still seeing concentration. That's one of the points of this paper. You know, the rise of the rest is occurring in the heartland. There's arithmetically a few more tech jobs. But our point is that we're still concentrating, and there's not a a major uh, widening out of uh, VC visible yet. We are hearing, of course, that VCs are asking founders, what is your strategy for talent, meaning – we don't think you should be trying to uh, find all your talent in the Bay Area. So I think there's some readiness to entertain other places. But can you imagine how much more saleable a sighting in uh, St. Louis would be if there was massive strategy and a massive influx of R&D coming, massive placemaking coming, uh, and massive investment in 
uh, you know, digital uh, skills among everybody, including the underrepresented, I think that would begin to create the kind of uh, critical mass that might attract some decentralization of VC. And we think, you know, these competitions should also include, you know, scale-up money to, to begin to create, uh, uh, you know, some of that energy. And those scale, that scale-up phase, I think, is what I've noticed is where these incumbents or these uh, new newer cities really lose ground. Uh, they are they appear to be really good at getting some tech companies started, uh, but when it comes to scaling, maybe it's because of the market size in the incumbent yeah. cities or the uh, accessibility and availability of you know Series B and Series C investment dollars. Uh, that's when they start to get pulled over to to the coast. And so again, to go back to a baseball analogy, the the last thing you want is for your city to just be known as a farm team uh, that is yeah. you know developing talent, and then they they always end up with the Yankees somehow. Well, and absolutely. And, you know, I think this would have benefits all around. Uh, it might make it safer for, uh, you know, a Bay Area founder or a big big tech company to place units in a place like St. Louis. But we're not all about, you know, relocating stuff out of those big tech hubs, which are clearly, you know, doing something right and are very innovative places. We're about creating you know, eight to 10 new regional centers in which, you know, Heartland founders can stay and grow the company, knowing that there's other action around them and that there's a deepening uh, talent uh, base and and deep uh, reservoirs of innovation going on in the universities and tech-based transfer. So, you know, we think that there's Yes, you'll you'll attract. Uh, you may be able to attract uh, out of the big hubs, but we think there is the heartland tech scene to grow. But we've got to really invest at scale. All right, Mark Murrow, a senior fellow from Brookings Institution. Thank you so much for joining us. And listeners, get out there and start and grow your businesses uh, and reach some scale. Mark, thank you. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much. Take care. All right, we'll be right back with more. Nothing impossible. Right after this. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Well, this next segment is about a company that's moving its headquarters, its offices from San Francisco to St. Louis. And it's also the first major medical device to be manufactured in St. Louis. And you know what's it's this is great coming off of our conversation earlier with uh, Mark from the Brookings Institution that says everything's happening in the on the coast. What are we going to do to really drive things in St. Louis? I think we have an answer. Yeah, let's get the details on Readout Health from CEO Jim Howard joining us on Nothing Impossible. Thank you so much for taking our call, Jim. And give us a little introduction. What is this medical device that Readout Health is making? Yeah, good morning. Thank you for having me on the show. So the device that we have is called Biosense, and it's a handheld device and mobile app that uses your breath to determine your levels of ketones. And ketones are in your body when your body has shifted from a state of burning carbs for fuel to a state of burning fat. And uh, you'll hear that frequently called ketosis or a state of ketosis. Um, All of us have friends doing the keto diet. That's probably the most frequent use of the term. And when you're in this deep state of ketosis, you're burning higher levels of fat. So what we do is we, we enable the consumers, uh, their bodies to react when they're reacting to ketone levels. The ketone levels are going higher. 
uh, based on the food that they eat and the exercise that they do, we can track that and trend that over the course of a day. So um, my metabolism is very different than yours. So it is essential that the data I use to make changes to my behavior is based on my own body. So this device allows you to see what your, how deep you are in a state of fat burn through the day. So it's a, it's a not just personalized medicine, but like uh, personalized uh, dieting and exercise recommendations. That's right. Okay. So, so essentially it, it is. This is, uh, you know, we, you eat a banana, I eat a banana, our body's going to react differently. So if you're, if you're trying to, to lose weight, for example, this will tell you exactly based on the foods that you eat how, how your body reacts in that state of fat burn. So if, uh, it allows you to hit those goals much more easily. Well, if we're, if we're eating $120,000 art bananas, uh, that might impact us as well. <laughs> that's, right, that's right. So, Jim, where is, where is this product in the development life cycle? Yeah, so the product launched actually yesterday. Oh, congratulations. And, uh, thank you very much. So it's been about two years in the works. The company's been uh, stealth or secret until the launch yesterday. And we uh, now sell it on our website which is mybiosense.com. So the company's in Midtown. We uh, do the final manufacturing and assembly here. Uh, we have quite a bit of operations in Canada, and uh, it's a consumer play. So the, it's a consumer device. We anticipate that the majority of the users are in weight management protocols and are looking for more effective ways to, to track their fat burn and, and weight loss. Uh, but there are Gosh, there's so many chronic diseases right now being treated with nutritional ketosis, and uh, and they're tracking ketone levels too in the home. And uh, so one example would be diabetes. So mm-hmm. diabetes is being put into remission with the use of the keto diet. So so that's what we do. And what have been some of the other early uh, indicators of this of this product product's efficacy? Yeah, so we concluded a clinical trial here in St. Louis just last month and 19 participants, and it was really interesting data came out of that because those that, that uh, all of us have friends doing the keto diet, and typically, well, until now, the only accurate way to check your ketones or your state of fat burn and how deep you are in that state of fat burn is a blood measurement. So you poke your finger in the morning typically, and you know what that state is. So our clinical trial proved that, uh, as, as well, our thesis was that you know, certainly your ketone levels change throughout the day and they go up and down, kind of like blood sugar mm-hmm. uh, based on foods. So the majority of the people uh, had very, very different ketone levels throughout the day than they did with that once a day finger prick. We also showed a high correlation of multiple measurements per day of ketones, high correlation to a blood measurement. So all of us now know that with, instead of pricking your finger in the morning, it's much more effective to blow into our device. I mean, it's a, you just blow into the device three to five times a day, and you will have a really accurate reflection of where your metabolism is going or where your state of fat burn is based on what you eat. And I would imagine some and, of the and it's a lot less invasive than pricking your finger multiple times throughout the day. Nobody wants to do that. <laughs> Nobody wants to do it once a day let alone doing it yeah. five, five times a day. So what was it about St. Louis that attracted you and your company here? Sure. So I was uh, consulting with BioGenerator in St. Louis. I had run one of their portfolio companies before, 
And there is a connection with Jim McCarter. Jim mm-hmm. McCarter was head of research at one of the companies that's treating diabetes with, with nutritional ketosis and or the keto diet. So he, uh, he also is affiliated with Biogenerator. And we knew that this technology existed and the real question it was being developed. And we knew the impact to this. My, my personal household is keto. Mm-hmm. So um, for various reasons, and I've uh, been in that for, for over a year. Um, but we made the determination that with Biogenerator, we could set this company up in St. Louis. So they provided some grant money. Uh, raised a little bit of capital to to set things up here, um, but the technology was rather advanced by the time we got involved. So we built the company around the technology and felt that the unique advantages of St. Louis with grant access with uh, Washington University and the research that they do, the company just signed a collaborative agreement with WashU. That's just an unfair advantage that most companies can't access. So we're, we're very happy with that decision. My partners, the founders, were highly agreeable. They love it. And so we, we set up shop in Midtown. And so you set up shop in Midtown. How many employees do you have now? What do you see as the trajectory for this? We have nine employees right now, and the majority of those are here in our office in St. Louis, and we'll add another 10 in, the, in 2020. We have 30-plus uh, contractors on the manufacturing side, so a lot of other people involved. But uh, the goal is to build as much of our operations in St. Louis as possible. And, and we are the manufacturer of records, so that's very uh, odd for a St. Louis company. And uh, we ship out of St. Louis and ship nationally. We're speaking with Jim Howard, CEO of Readout Health. Uh, we are approaching a new year and a new decade, Jim. I'm imagining there are going to be some pretty monumental uh, resolutions made January 1st, a lot of them having to do with health. Uh, I would guess that the product launch around this time was not accidental. Uh, How do you see uh, a technology like Readout Health helping people actually stick to these resolutions that they make? That's a great question because adherence is is a key component of, of why we exist, quite frankly, and it's changing human behaviors. It's difficult to change human behaviors and adhere to them without data. And data it has to be their own body's data. So by using our device, you can set your own target. So if I want to be in a light state of ketosis, like a lot of performance athletes, or if I want to be in a deep state of ketosis for weight loss, fast weight loss on the keto diet or other, other weight management programs that have a state of fat burn, you set your personal target and it, it can be quite addictive, quite frankly, when you're you're looking at your circle fill-in, your circle of your target, for example. And that's what the mobile app does. The mobile app provides your trends through the day, and you can see your ketones going up and down throughout the day based on what you eat. And, and the fact is, if you know that at that granular level of what you eat and your exercise – you will change your behaviors. That's just human nature, as opposed to jumping on a scale every two days. By doing that, you're missing everything in between. It's like, what am I doing to get myself into that state of fat burn? So we provide that transparency. And until now, you had to prick your finger multiple times per day to to have that understanding of your body's behavior and reactions. So um, we, we feel very confident that having the first clinical grade breast ketone device is going to have a strong impact on those chronic disease patients or weight loss 
consumers that that really want to know what their body is doing. Well, and I I would I really look at this also as uh, you know the market seems ready for this. We with things like I'll, I'll use Fitbit as as an example, right? Uh, the ability to know that you're only 50 steps away from hitting your goal means you're going to take those extra 50 steps that day uh, and and you're going to fill in that circle or, or hit that goal. Uh, humans are wired for that, aren't we? I mean, we're hired to you know try to comp- leave things, uh, make things that were incomplete complete. That's right. That's right. And um, and it has a sharing capability and, and you add a little competitive nature to it, too. Um, it's pretty interesting. So the, the feedback that we've got from our clinical trial is that um, people really have to have a clear goal in that in that day. So obviously, we have midterm goals on weight loss and things like that. But it's really a daily activity because your, your body's reacting every day. And, um, and it's essential. It really is. And for our listeners, uh, I, we didn't do this in the setup. Can you talk a little bit more about what is involved in a keto diet, what that lifestyle is, uh, just so they can get some uh, perspective? Sure, sure. I mean, keto diet is, gets a lot of press right now. The, the clinical side of that is typically using nutritional ketosis, but the keto diet may come and go. But that any protocol where there's a state of fat burn, that's here to stay. So the keto diet specifically is a high carb, I'm sorry, a low carb, high fat diet. And actually it's ultra low carb. So 30 grams of carbs or less per day. And, and you see it on the coast, it's very big. And those individuals are getting rid of bananas. They're not having bread, rice. They're basically getting rid of anything that has um, intermediate or high amounts of carbs and really limiting oneself. And it's, it's a high fat diet too. So, um, and some are doing that with plants like avocados. Others are doing that with, you know, lots of meat. Um, however, but there's, there's a lot of research on which one's better for the individual, but, but ultimately that keto diet is a relatively fast way. And that's why it's so popular to lose weight. And ultimately others do it for inflammation reasons. That's personally what I, I use it for. Um, and then it typically, you know, often becomes a state of really your, what you've adopted as your kind of protocol full-time past weight loss. So the keto diet is something where you have lots of energy at work. You don't have cravings for food. You, um, you're using, really, you're using fat as your fuel source as opposed to carbs. And that's how our, you know, human beings developed that way too. So it's only in the recent history that we've shifted to this carb state. So you'll, you'll see keto all over the place about weight loss, but there's a lot of people that have adopted that ultra low carb um, methodology and everything that they do during the day. So it's a lifestyle. Really, it is a lifestyle. So it's pretty popular. Well, and if you are going to change your lifestyle, it's great to have uh, some tools to help you manage and, and navigate those changes in your life. You mentioned uh, Washington University. Are there some collaborations that you're doing with the local universities? Yes. So there are 80-plus clinical trials going on right now treating many chronic diseases with, with the keto diet uh, or nutritional ketosis. So those range from cancer. You know, cancer cells need uh, sugar to proliferate, where um, neurological disorders like Alzheimer's, a lot of research is being done on that. Obviously, obesity and diabetes are big in that as well. So our collaboration agreement was set up because of uh, there's four or five clinical trials where they would really like to have a non-invasive device 
for their trial participants. But the the breath ketone devices on the market they're not they're not a clinical grade because they they're essentially alcohol uh, breathalyzers. So this is the one with, that only takes your end of breath sample, and that's really what the, the code that we've cracked as a company is breath sampling of only that last little bit of your lungs, you know, your lungs breath. So when you exhale, we just pull that in and that gives that high ac- level of accuracy that's interesting to the clinical community. So we have a number of other academic centers that want us to support their clinical trials, a big pharma company with an obesity drug. So we have our kind of our clinical uh, wing of our company too to support that. But ultimately the, the St. Louis story has to, to be complete with you know, collaborating with our local institutions that, that are doing research. We feel it's a core part of what we're doing as a company. Well, you mentioned the St. Louis story, and I, I am going to put you on the spot a little bit. Uh, compare and contrast uh, the entrepreneurial experience that you've had, uh, you know, starting the company and working in San Francisco and what you're noticing in, in St. Louis. And you could be as honest. If there are things that are uh, still uh, works in progress for St. Louis, please let us know. Sure, sure. I've um... I've been parts of both of these. I, I was part of a great startup or two, actually, in, in San Francisco. I've been part of uh, three here in St. Louis. I would say that um, on the negative, because I want to end on the positive, right? <laughs> um, on the negative side, the, the technical talent is there's kind of few and far between here um, relative to the Bay Area. So, um, but the positives far outweigh. It, it's it's very you know the Bay Area is very very competitive, whereas highly collaborative in St. Louis. It really is. So, you know, Biogenerator can help stand up a company. We've got Arch Grants providing grants to these, these early stage companies with nothing in return. Um, you have Washington University eager to help. And um, you can get pretty far with limited capital, and it's a great place to bootstrap a company here in St. Louis, where in the Bay Area, and even often here in St. Louis, the headlines talk about how much money is raised. <laughs> they don't say anything about what happens when that company goes belly up. So right. we're really focused on execution um, here and not how much money we've raised, even though we're still raising money. But it's um, that's kind of the difference here. We can get, you know, we have a gorgeous office in Midtown. You can't do that in the Bay Area. And um, we, we're built to, to take us to the next step in our company's growth, and that is supporting other chronic diseases with other compounds in the breath. And, um, and that's the clinical side of the company. So, you know, it just makes a lot of sense. We're distributing out of St. Louis, so it's central. Um, it's just, and I, and I have a two-minute commute, so that's always <laughs> helpful. That's not bad at all. Jim Howard, CEO of Readout Health, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And we'll be right back with more Nothing Impossible right after this. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. All right, welcome back in. We just heard from the CEO, Jim Howard of Readout Health. Now we're going to talk with Mary Dinkle, part of that clinical trial. Uh, Mary, I, I heard and I understand that you uh, you used this for weight loss. You lost eight pounds in two weeks uh, using this product and as part of this trial? Yes, yeah. That's, um, that's impressive. Well, thank you. Yeah. No, I think it's a great way to, it, it's a great tool to keep you on track and keep you motivated. And so talk to us a little bit about uh, how you use the readout health and, and how you're able to use data to make some behavioral changes. Okay. Well, um, I've used the blood strips before and you have to poke yourself 
and um, it can be really painful and um, very expensive. And so when this, I got to be in this trial, um, you get to use it by just blowing into it and seeing if you're in ketosis. And you can see the, layer, the, the level that you're going higher into it or if you're coming out of it. So it, I, you can use it quite a few times throughout the day. Um, and you can test to see if a certain food is knocking you out of ketosis. Um, so that's how it really helped me to stay on track of figuring out what I needed as an individual. And, and that's why I liked it. And, and so uh, what has been the ongoing use of it and what kind of successes are you continuing to see? Well, I'm 50 years old and um, I like doing a lot of my activities, whether it's playing tennis or skiing, snow skiing or running around. And um, it just helps me keep well. And that's my goal, to keep as healthy as I can without having any medicine. Um, and, and without pricking your present. finger all the time. Yeah, <laughs> right. it's yeah. very helpful. <laughs> uh, no more sore fingers. There you go. Uh, I, if you're a guitar player or a piano player, you really don't want to pick, prick your finger anyway. That's, that's uh, very invasive. Uh, Mary, or just I mean, using your phone. I, that's true, yes. All the, uh, it's hard to do emojis with, uh, with pricked fingers. Uh, <laughs> Mary, I, I can imagine there are a number of you know solutions and things that you've tried over the year over the years. Um, are you ever skeptical about the latest and greatest thing? Well, that's so funny. I think my kids could do a skit on me on um, <laughs> the different diets, but I did this back. I did you know sort of a protein power maybe ten years ago, fifteen years ago, and I was really successful. And then I just kind of like, oh, you go to the next fad, this fad. Going back, I've been doing this now for the last three and a half years. Um, I know this is what works well for me um, by going very low carb, you know, having those moments and enjoying life and having some carbs, but going right back into ketosis keeps me sharp. I don't have heartburn, you know, and as you go on through your stages of life of just, um, you know, even heat flashes, I don't have them if I stay in ketosis. So it works for me. I mean, I, and I know I have sisters who, mm-hmm. same thing, um, some who are vegans and some who are doing low carb. And the low carb ones do so much better. So I don't know. Well, everybody's everybody's yeah. body is unique with unique needs. And uh, Mary, I'm glad that this is working for you. Uh, this is Mary yes. Dinkle, one of the clinical part of the clinical trial for Readout Health, uh, the company that relocated from San Francisco to St. Louis. Mary, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in for yet another edition of Nothing Impossible. Tune in next week. We'll keep it going. Take care. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.